welcome to Maverick Minds podcast. I'm Catherine Lloyd, founder of Maverick Minds, a creative human development service where we help individuals and teams to shift your thinking, gain new perspectives and create positive change. And I'm Danielle Bolton, Director of Association Solutions, a Specialist Secretariat and Event Management Service. Currently, Maverick Minds podcasts are a series of micro-podcasts called Maverick Musings. These are brief conversations where we unearth creative gems, people, ideas and actions that have caught our attention and think they're worth sharing with you. We are a work in progress and look forward to connecting with you over time. I'd also like to acknowledge Marcus Lucas, who gifts us with his creative music from Maverick Minds podcast. Thanks, Marcus. So hi, Danielle. Great to see you this week. How are you? I'm great, Catherine. It's been a very busy week, but I'm doing well. What about yourself? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Thanks. I had a couple of wins this week, and that's always a good thing. So for this week's Maverick Musing, we dip into creative well-being, which is always at the forefront of Maverick Minds. Whatever we do, we aim to have creative well-being at the heart of our thinking and interactions. Recently, I was asked to run a workshop for a government agency on creative well-being and uncertainty. The organisation is going through a lot of change. In researching and designing the experience, it seemed a good opportunity to share some of the ideas that were uncovered with you, dear listener. The idea of well-being has been around for a long time. The ancient Greeks thought it well worth an exploration. More recently, well-being has also been absorbed into the concept of happiness. And while it's easy to see how this connection can be made, well-being is more than just happiness which is a good thing given our happiness can be a little unreliable and somewhat fragile. So one way to counteract this is by recognising that happiness is just part of a greater picture of creative well-being. When we embed this in our way of being, we then have a much bigger canvas to experiment and play with. We're going to start briefly with a few of the big thinkers, those ancient Greek philosophers who inquire into what it means to be human and some of the big existential questions such as why do we exist and what does it mean to live a good life? In looking at what it means to live a good life, the main characters, Aristotle, Socrates and Plato, went beyond notions of happiness and inhibited a concept called eudaimonia. From their perspective, eudaimonia is a broader, more holistic way of thinking about a good life. They tended to look at a life well lived in terms of qualities like virtue and ethics, courage, wisdom, kindness and justice. These are concepts we know and relate to today, although we may not think of them in terms of happiness. The philosophers seemed less interested in the material aspects of what makes our lives happier. And in fact, they didn't really philosophize in terms of happiness. They were more interested in how we lived our lives well through these different human attributes or qualities. In their view, the eudaimon life was more about developing the excellence of being human and well-being, eudaimonia, being the highest aim of moral thought and conduct through the virtues or dispositions that lead us to that state. The closest English words to eudaimonia seem to be human flourishing. Other terms might be good spirit and human development. The eudaimonic aspect of well-being refers to a life well-lived and might take forms such as having a sense of competence, meaning and purpose. This is somewhat different to the hedonic aspects of well-being, which refers to people's emotions or feelings such as happiness and, and even anxiety. And here we are standing on the shoulders of philosophical giants. There's so much to learn from these classic scholars and writers. It's a lifetime's voyage engaging with them and appreciating their deep inquiry into humankind. Given our technological leaps and bounds, understanding what it means to be human is becoming increasingly important, particularly around ethical considerations and well-being. So we're going to leap forward a couple of thousand years to current times, where the idea of a life well-lived has taken on different meanings. Contemporary interpretations of happiness and a life well-lived now often relate to wealth, materialism, individualism, and success, which can cover a whole multitude of things. 
Modern positive psychology has shifted the focus to considering the science around happiness, and there is even a happiness movement, which at times has failed to look at the deeper question of well-being and human flourishing, and in particular, the philosophical roots of happiness from the ancient Greeks. If we look at psychological well-being, the work of psychologist Carol Riff has refocused attention around the idea of eudaimonia, and she makes the case for six dimensions of eudaimonia. In her research, she probes a number of areas for positive functioning and looks at the extent to which respondents felt their lives had meaning, purpose and direction, purpose in life, whether they viewed themselves to be living in accord with their own personal convictions, autonomy, the extent to which they made use of their personal talents and potentials, personal growth how well they managed their life situations, environmental mastery, the depth of connection they had in ties with significant others, positive relationships, the knowledge and acceptance they had of themselves, including awareness of personal limitations, self-acceptance. So here you have the contemporary eudaimonic considerations such as purpose in life, autonomy, personal growth, environmental mastery, positive relationships, and self-acceptance. I'm sure many of us can relate to and aspire to these dimensions at varying times in our lives. And I'd also like to add a couple of other dimensions to this mix, which I think can help us live a more flourishing life. And the first is in relation to impermanence, the nature of things, and that is the nature of change. Everything is always changing. As Buddhist nun Pema Chodron reminds us, as human beings, we share a tendency to scramble for certainty whenever we realise that everything around us is in flux. But in truth, the very nature of our existence is forever in flux. She asks of us, How can we live wholeheartedly in the face of impermanence? And is it possible to increase our tolerance for instability and change? These are great and challenging questions, and they are at the heart of what it means to be human. The second one is about creativity. Creativity is also at the heart of being human and is our natural state. When we allow ourselves to explore our creative potential and express that fully and wholeheartedly, it allows us to live a fuller and richer life. While creativity is a shared human trait, we express it in unique ways. All of us have a contribution to make in terms of making the world a better place and our place in the world better. The wonderful thing about creativity is that it can be explored individually and collectively, both are valuable pursuits. In the journal Psychology of Aesthetics, Creativity and the Arts, author Tamlin Connor in her paper, Everyday Creative Activity as a Path to Flourishing, says... We can add creativity to the list of actionable things people can do to take charge of their well-being. I really like this concept, that creativity is an actionable thing. It means we can take action and nurture our well-being. There's something really affirming in this statement. In their research, the authors say, we were also pleased that personality made no difference in the link between creativity and well-being which suggests that everyone and anyone can benefit from introducing creativity into their daily lives. I'm really pleased to hear that too. Like most studies, it has its limitations and there are opportunities for further investigation. In this research, the study relied on participants' own reports of their experiences, which in one way can be hard to quantify just how creative people actually were, at least not by any outward measure. The researchers stated, it's clear that when people think they've been creative, they experience more positive emotion and flourishing. Well, from my perspective, it really doesn't matter. Our society is so focused on the need to measure everything to the nth degree that at times I'm concerned we may cause more harm than good. In this situation, if someone thinks, feels and believes they are creative and they experience more positive emotions and a sense of flourishing, then who's to argue with that? The experience itself is what counts. 
and how the person perceives themselves as a result of their creative action. If it shifts their current state of being to a more positive and eudaimonic way of being, that has to be a good thing. This research has some similarities to another research paper in the Journal of Wellbeing by Frederick Kiernan from the University of Melbourne, who puts forward the idea about emotion as creative practice and linking creativity and well-being through the history and sociology of emotion. The two areas of emotion Kiernan refers to in regards to well-being are hedonic, which is focused on pleasure attachment, pain avoidance, and emphasizing happiness, and eudaimonic, emphasizing meaning, self-realization, positive psychological functioning, and human development. Both papers support the emerging emphasis on emotion and everyday creativity as a means of cultivating positive psychological functioning. Heenan's paper also invites us to think about well-being as a collective rather than individual creative achievement. I see this idea as creative social connection, which is likely to be beneficial given the excessive individualism that resides in particularly Western culture and developed nations that seem to cause us anxiety and feelings of isolation which in turn then impacts negatively on our sense of well-being. Danielle, I know that you're currently undertaking studies in counselling and there's some ideas you, you can share with us from your current learning. What have you come across? Yes, Catherine. Well, I've been looking into cognitive behaviour therapy or CBT and CBT is based on the idea that thoughts, feelings and behaviours directly impact on one another. So negative thoughts cause us distress, which can result in anxiety and depression and even physical ailments such as headaches. And CBT looks at a way to retrain your thinking to be more positive. It's very much the concept of mindfulness. So an example of this might be that you think that you're not very creative. And using some simple tools, you can look at an example of when you were actually creative and it was successful. You might even write this down on a post-it note and stick it on the fridge. Every time you think you can't be creative, you look at that post-it note and you think back to that time when you did think creatively, you applied that creativity and the end result probably gave you a great sense of achievement. It sounds simple, but it does take a bit of practice. The positive mindfulness can actually make you feel better both physically and mentally. Yeah, everything takes practice, doesn't it? Um, look, and I would like to just put a little plug in for my book, Seriously Playful Creativity, in relation to that, because the, that book is a tool that people can actually use in terms of thinking about their creativity. And there's a number of concepts in there that I invite people to explore. And a number of people have said to me how it's helped them to think very positively and differently about their creativity when, in fact, actually prior to engaging with the book, they'd never really thought of themselves as being creative and they've had a real shift in their thinking around their own personal creativity, which is great. Now, I'm a fan of Australian social researcher Hugh Mackay. In his book, Australia Reimagined, he offers that deep satisfactions don't come from things that make us happy, but from doing things that give meaning and purpose to our lives. And I really like this way of thinking because it's much more expansive than just focused on being happy. Not that I'm against being happy. I just think that we can do ourselves greater service by having a more holistic view of living a good life, one that may not always be focused on being happy. As Hugh goes on to say, happiness is at best a byproduct, not the goal of a well-lived life. And I think that's worth having right at the forefront of our everything that we do and, and certainly at our thinking. And speaking of happiness, Catherine, did you know that March 20 is the United Nations International Day of Happiness? They highlight that with our world-facing unprecedented challenges, well-being matters more than ever. And this leads us to a global picture of creative well-being. Indeed, we have been looking at the World Economic Forum's 2021 World Happiness Report, which is now in its ninth publication, and it's a report on global happiness. 
It is a well-researched report and worth reading, particularly as it looks at what's been taking place over the last year. And given that we've been in a living through a pandemic, uh, it makes a very interesting reading um, and certainly covers more than just happiness. So we're pulling out a few threads for today's Maverick Musing. One of the research tools they use is the life evaluations from the Gallup World Poll. This provides the basis for the annual happiness rankings. And here's a few things we want to highlight around well-being. Mental health has been one of the casualties, both of the pandemic and the resulting lockdowns. As the pandemic struck, there was a large and immediate immediate decline in mental health in many countries worldwide. On the positive side, the pandemic has shone a light on mental health as never before. They suggest this increased public awareness bodes well for future research and better services that are urgently needed. Well, let's hope so. And one of the things they ask people in the research is when they have smiled, laughed and experienced enjoyment. Just a little bit about the use of life evaluations. The Gallup World Poll, which remains the principal source of data, asked respondents to evaluate their current life as a whole using the image of a ladder with the best possible life for them as 10 and the worst possible as a zero. Each respondent provides a numerical response on this scale referred to as the Cantrell Ladder or Cantrell Ladder of Life developed by psychologist and public opinion analyst Hadley Cantrell in the 60s. Life evaluations provide the most informative measure for international comparisons because they capture quality of life in a more complete and stable way than emotional reports based on daily experiences. And they identify six factors for supporting general well-being, which include income, health, someone to count on, that is having social support, freedom, generosity, and trust, particularly in government. They state that one of the keys to human well-being is the ability of societies to confront urgent societal challenges. Societal crises demand pro-socialities, that is, the ability of societies to work harmoniously and rationally towards common objectives. And we've certainly seen a range of different responses and, and approaches across the globe in how to deal with a global health crisis, and not just from the political leaders, but also from the citizens themselves. The report always compiles a list of countries that they rank in terms of happiness or or well-being, and the top 10, which feature for 2021 based on 2020 research, include number one at Finland, two, Iceland, followed by Denmark, Switzerland, the Netherlands, Sweden, Germany, Norway, and at number nine, our Kiwi cousins, New Zealand, 10, Austria. Australia came in at number 12. The report highlights some of the protective factors for positive well-being, and these are what I consider to be human qualities or characteristics, ways of being that are likely to support positive well-being. They include personality, and it seems that being slightly extroverted um, is better because there's a willingness to put yourself out there to connect, having a sense of purpose and, and personal growth, which really reflects some of the things we've been talking about, gratitude, grit in, res- in relation to resilience the quality of relationships, the quality in terms of our sense of connectedness and relatedness, which increases life satisfaction, the the quantity um, of our social network, so it seems size does matter, um, that that larger seemed um, a, a better thing. And in some ways I can kind of relate to that because I feel like I've got some really good social networks um, you know, last year, you know, in, in relation to work, um, you know, our interactions with the Applied Improvisation Network that we, we were engaged with, Danielle, during that time, um, the Australian Facilitators Network. So those broader networks as well as more sort of personal ones can be really um, helpful. Uh, pro-social behaviour, helping 
um, is another uh, characteristic. And so these are things like volunteering or acts of kindness. So one of the things for me last year was that I helped my yoga teacher and my sister get their yoga classes online. So I spent a fair bit of time doing that with them. Now, I had a personal imperative for doing that because I really wanted to do continue doing the classes, but I'm also part of that community. So I really wanted to, it was part of me making a contribution to that community. I'm wondering about you, Danielle, what, um, what was significant for you? Oh, look, I was really fortunate to work with a psychiatrist who uh, runs telehealth appointments. So we worked together to bring uh, psychiatric appointments to people in rural and remote Australia. And uh, and I found that very satisfying working with, with people who ordinarily might not have been able to get to those services. I can imagine that. And let's hope it lasts because Australia is such a big country. We certainly need that extra layer of health for people out in those very remote areas. The other one that they talk about is the pros and cons of social media, but they, and they mentioned that, you know, it's not all bad. It's certainly actually very, very good that people were able to connect. But one of the things they did mention was that it was when people could hear one another. So anything that included voice was seen as a very positive thing in that regard. So telephone or, you know, getting on and having, you know, calls online and things like that were very helpful for people. And another interesting insight, it seems that age may be a contributing factor for being able to cope and to have these protective factors for positive well-being. Older adults reported relatively greater emotional stability and resilience. And this might be to do with, you know, knowing and experiencing that you know, that during your life, you will have these ups and downs. And so they've developed skills and capabilities to traverse these challenging times. And maybe there's just simply an acceptance that this is what life is about. And those sorts of things that can cause us grief, it's something along the lines of this too will pass because as we know from the impermanence, things are in a state of flux and change all the time. They've said that this really does require some further inquiry. Mm. And another factor included daily activity, like physical activity. And this is a reoccurring theme in, in recent research with the more frequent exercise related to increased well-being during the pandemic. Many other studies corroborate this, showing that exercising during the pandemic predicts higher well-being. In a sample of about 600 adults in Ireland surveyed a day, a day after the stay-at-home orders, those who spent more time outdoor and engaged in activities such as exercising or going for a walk reported more positive effect and less negative effect. In a sample of 13,000 participants from 99 countries who surveyed between March 29 and May 7, 2020, those who exercised nearly every day during the pandemic reported more positive moods. Similarly, increasing in exercise as well as gardening were negatively associated with things like depression and anxiety and positively associated with life satisfaction. So it appears that people may be increasing their exercise routine during COVID-19 and those who do so report being happier. Mm. So let's hear it for more gardening. One of the findings that was a delightful surprise for me was acknowledgement to experiencing flow, which I didn't expect to actually read in this report. And that seems to be a protective of well-being. The researchers point to the value of distraction conferred by the experience of flow. And so that is during a time filled with uncertainty, being absorbed in something neutral or positive during the pandemic may benefit well-being. And I'm sure many of us have experienced this and the benefits that flow can bring. And it's one of the concepts I talk about in my book. One of the areas I want to mention that impacted negatively in relation to well-being was intolerance for uncertainty. 
It seems those with an intolerance for uncertainty reported particularly poor well-being, especially if they tended to ruminate or have fears about the disease. And this is interesting when we think about the idea of impermanence. So it raises the question again, how can we develop ways of being that can help us navigate and sit with uncertainty in ways that will not negatively affect us when we know that change is the name of the game? The idea then of creativity being an actionable thing in terms of our well-being is really helpful. We've taken you on a really brief tour of the World Economic Forum Global Happiness Report. It's such a tiny snapshot of what is a very informative research. What I'd also like to mention is a presentation I came across, which was a meeting in Davos at the World Economic Forum called The Value of Creativity. Presenters Ingolf and Paulina Wunder spoke on creativity as a driving force of humanity in a future dominated by artificial intelligence. They shared their perspective on how making and engaging in arts in some way has a positive impact on our health and human sensitivity. In particular, they were talking about music and intuition as a way of helping humans thrive. The comment that got me was that often the arts are just taken for granted without actually valuing it. So it's worth asking the question, what would our lives be like without the arts? There is a direct connection between health, well-being and the arts. At the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned a workshop I facilitated for a client on creative well-being, and I asked the group what creative well-being meant to them. A number of people commented that being in nature helps give them a sense of well-being. Family gave them a sense of well-being. And many of them spoke about work providing a sense of satisfaction, even with all the ups and downs that work might bring. Daniel, I'm curious to know what gives you a sense of well-being or creative well-being? Well, one of the things we do in my family, Catherine, is when we give gifts, um, we try rather than giving things is to give experiences. So recently for Mother's Day, my daughter gave me a, uh, a workshop for doing some pottery. So her and I are going to be doing that this Saturday. And um, I really enjoy that sense of being with family and sharing an experience together. That's, that's very much it for me. That's very cool. I love that. That's great. And I'm looking forward to seeing your next creative artifact as well. And I can definitely relate to being in nature. I find it totally inspiring and it's it's my happy place, that's for sure. And then often I'm inspired by it from an artistic perspective as well. So, you know, things can often appear in little bits and pieces that I do in my studio. And I certainly collect bits and bobs along the way as well. We're returning to eudaimonia and human flourishing. Our question then for you, dear listener, is what is it that helps you flourish? And what brings you a sense of creative well-being? And next time when you may not feel so happy, take a look at what is working well in your life. What are the things you can be grateful for? Who can you help that would appreciate it? What random act of kindness can you bestow on others? What would it be like to take yourself off to a gallery or a creative workshop like Danielle's heading off to? Or listen to music that inspires and affects you? Or learning to play an instrument? Or journaling? Consider what creative steps you could take that would help you to live a fuller, more eudaimonic life. And how can you support others in their quest? And do you have the courage to know when to act and when to let go and live creatively with uncertainty and change? We'd love to hear from you. Get in touch and inspire us with your wisdom and creative acts. You can find us on all the normal podcast platforms. Like us, give us a review, subscribe if that's available on that system and get on board. We're always interested to hear from people and and find out about ideas that you think might be worth knowing about. You can also find the links to all of the articles we've mentioned today in our podcast notes. And we'd like to give a little plug for our next podcast where we'll take a look at World Environment Day, which is coming up on the 5th of June. So until next time, bye for now. See you next time.